menopause was once considered taboo to talk about, which may explain why so many women get blindsided because they think of perimenopause and menopause as something that happens to grandma, when in fact we normally see this in women who are in their 40s. But today, we know it's too important not to talk about. This is the time to educate yourself. No one is having that discussion when it comes to menopause. So the onus is on women to educate themselves before they start to go through menopause. So we will talk about it. There's just so much variability among women. Your friend, your mother, your sister, what their experience is like is not necessarily what you will experience. Discover what women and men need to know about menopause inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. Menopause. It's something that, until relatively recently, was widely considered taboo to talk about. But it's an important stage of a woman's life that needs to be talked about, as well as understood by all. Today, we'll learn about menopause, both the physiological and the potential mental health impacts it presents for women. You're bound to discover a lot of knowledge from two of our nation's leading menopause experts. First, let's hear from Dr. Lauren Stryker, clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine as well as nationally and internationally recognized speaker, columnist, best-selling author, and fellow podcast host. Dr. Stryker begins by sharing how menopause is typically defined. When we talk about menopause, the common definition is 12 months without a menstrual period. But that's a highly problematic definition. Because not only is it retrospective, but let's face it, we have at least 50% of the population that's no longer menstruating by the time they get to menopause. Perhaps they've had a hysterectomy or they've had a uterine ablation procedure that has made their periods disappear. And so, while it's not the official definition... The definition I like to use is when your ovaries are no longer producing estrogen. They are out of business forever. They will never start producing estrogen again. And so often we hear women say, I'm done with menopause. You are done with menopause when you die because you are never going to start making estrogen again. Also, there are distinct defined phases. First, there's premenopause. When we think in terms of 
premenopause, we're talking about someone who is producing a normal amount of estrogen, whether they're 15 years old, 35 years old, or 40 years old, as long as their ovaries are pumping out estrogen, they are considered to be premenopause. Next is perimenopause. The ovaries are winding down, and the production of estrogen is not as predictable, not always in a nice cyclic fashion. This is when someone might skip some periods, but their ovaries are still producing some estrogen. Which Dr. Stryker says can take some women by surprise, because... This can happen normally anytime after the age of 40, which is why so many women get blindsided, because they think of perimenopause and menopause as something that happens to grandma, when in fact we normally see this in women who are in their 40s. And then there's postmenopause. Postmenopause is when your estrogen is no longer being produced, your ovaries are out of business, and they are never going to produce estrogen again. At what ages do the phases of menopause typically occur? The age range for perimenopause and menopause is very wide. If we look at the average age in the United States that a woman stops producing estrogen when she's officially postmenopause, that's 51. However, any time after the age of 40 is considered to be normal. Most women, though, are between the ages of 45 and 55, with 51 being average. But among the challenges of menopause is recognizing the difference between phases. For example, with perimenopause... The only thing predictable about perimenopause is that it is unpredictable. Some women don't even know they're in perimenopause. Other women typically will start to miss periods. The difference is in perimenopause, these symptoms come and go in an unpredictable fashion, and sometimes they can go away for a very long period of time. So women get fooled. They think, I must have gone through menopause, I'm done, and then they start in with a vengeance. It's also important to consider that some women don't experience menopause naturally. Some women go through a surgical menopause, which means they have a surgical removal of their ovaries. They don't go through perimenopause. They are immediately postmenopause because they skip that period of hormonal fluctuation. Likewise, we see women who may enter peri- or postmenopause very early as a consequence of cancer treatment, such as chemotherapy or radiation. Which means, while we think of menopause occurring in an older population... We have to keep in mind that sometimes we're talking about women who are considerably younger. But for women who do experience it naturally, what marks the transition from perimenopause through to postmenopause? What marks it is that the ovaries are no longer producing estrogen. And unless someone has had surgery or chemotherapy, we can't predict what's going to happen. It's a retrospective diagnosis. But in terms of symptoms, what we find is that you don't see the symptoms coming and going as much as you do during perimenopause. And the one absolutely characteristic symptom of perimenopause versus postmenopause. It is perfectly normal during perimenopause for a woman to continue to have menstrual periods, even if they're few and far between and totally unpredictable. Once a woman has become postmenopause, any bleeding is considered to be abnormal and must be investigated because it is not okay to have a period once you are officially postmenopause, meaning that you have gone 12 months without a period. When it comes to common symptoms of menopause, one usually comes to mind first. 
hot flashes. A lot of people think, well, hot flashes is just something that happens during perimenopause, and then when you're postmenopause, you no longer have hot flashes, and that's not the case. Some women don't get them at all, but then we find that on average, women may have them for seven years, some ethnicities and races up to 10 years, and then there's that group that has them forever. Dr. Stryker says while most women will have hot flashes, the degree to which they have them also varies greatly. For some women, it's very mild. It may be the kind of thing that they say, it's a little warm in here. I think I'll take off my sweater. And then we have the women that feel like, okay, I've got to open up the freezer door, stick my head in and take all my clothes off. And then we have the extreme flashers, the women that are not only flashing frequently throughout the day and throughout the night, but actually are sweating. They are drenching the bed sheets. They're drenching their pajamas at night. During the day, they're soaking their clothes. There's something else women need to understand about hot flashes. It is that hot flashes are not about quality of life. They are about length of life because we know that those hot flashes are not just about being miserable. There's a very, very high correlation between hot flashes and cardiovascular disease and bone health and cognitive function. So the more we learn about hot flashes, the more we realize that hot flashes have a very negative impact on health and longevity. Next are sleeping issues during menopause, which Dr. Stryker says are experienced by at least 40% of women. Certainly we know that hot flashes are going to impact sleep quality, but then you can't forget that we also have sleep apnea, which increases postmenopause, restless leg syndrome, and we're not even getting into the snorer in the bed next to you and all of that. So sleep for a lot of women is their number one issue and sleep deprivation can have a cascading effect. If you're not sleeping, then you're going to have the downstream effects of all these other things, whether it's weight gain, memory, because quite frankly, sleep's the number one thing that we often feel like we have to treat to get women back on track. Speaking of weight gain during menopause... There's two things that happen during this hormonal transition as far as weight. One is there's a redistribution. So even if a woman doesn't gain one single pound, she will notice body changes. She'll notice her middle thickening, that lovely muffin top, even if the scale hasn't budged. But for the majority of women, there is some weight gain during menopause. We used to say that this is because of a change of metabolism, but now we know that metabolism actually doesn't slow down until well into the 60s, and this weight gain occurs in the 50s. But men don't gain weight at the same rate that women do at this point in life. So what's the difference? Yep, once again, it's those darn hot flashes. And why do hot flashes impact the inability to lose weight and actually gain weight? Circling back to the sleep issue. If someone is flashing all night, they're not going to sleep. And we know that if someone doesn't get at least seven hours of sleep, there's going to be more insulin resistance, that metabolism is going to slow down, there are going to be bad food choices, and of course when you don't sleep, you're also less motivated to exercise. Combined with the fact that every time someone has a hot flash, there is a surge of cortisol. And we know that cortisol is the stress hormone, also is going to impact the ability to lose weight and will impact insulin sensitivity and metabolism. So essentially, no matter what a woman does, that can all be sabotaged if she's having all day and all night hot flashes. And not to pile it on, but something else can impact weight during menopause. And that's 
alcohol because women tend to drink more around period postmenopause as a way to get to sleep. A lot of women rely on alcohol to fall asleep, which not only is going to pack on the pounds, but it's really not going to help their sleep. But Dr. Stryker urges women to know and trust that there are solutions to all of these issues, both hormonal and non-hormonal. It's so important that women educate themselves and know what their issues are because, quite frankly, it's sad but true that the overwhelming majority of physicians in the United States, even OBGYNs, are not educated as far as the management of menopause. Okay, then what are effective treatments for symptoms of menopause? There is no question that the safest, most effective way to deal with most menopause symptoms is hormone therapy. Estrogen therapy for women who don't have a uterus and don't need to take a progestogen, and for women with a uterus, an estrogen plus a progestogen or some other alternative to protect the lining of the uterus. And despite what you think you may already know about hormone therapy... The number one misconception that is still propagated by physicians is that estrogen is going to increase your risk of cancer. The short answer to that, and this is not my opinion, this is the data, this is what every menopause expert will tell you, estrogen is started between the ages of 50 and 60 years old will decrease not increase, decrease your risk of breast cancer by 18% and will have no impact on virtually every other kind of cancer. She talks about this in greater detail on her own podcasts. We'll tell you about that later, but just know that hormone therapy will decrease your risk of breast cancer. It is safe and it is by far the most effective. What about women who can't take estrogen? Women who have been told that they should not take estrogen certainly have many, many non-estrogen alternatives to decrease hot flashes, to get a decent night's sleep, solutions to all of those issues and all of their symptoms. There's also new treatments available, including... A drug called fesalinitin. It's an oral daily pill that is not a hormone. It works on the part of the brain that basically controls your internal thermostat. Good news for women who have severe hot flashes who cannot take estrogen. While every woman's menopause is their own unique experience, what's known is... 80% of women will experience hot flashes. Okay, so who are these 20% of women that don't get hot flashes? Is that because they do yoga and they eat right? And the answer is, we don't know. It appears to be genetic. And there does seem to be a genetic component. Because in looking at certain populations of women... Hot flashes are much more severe and last longer in black women than in white women. Asian women seem to be the least affected. A lot of people say, well, maybe that's because of the Asian diet. But it does not appear to be the case. So it is most likely genetically driven. Should women continue with annual visits to their gynecologist during and even after menopause? I'm so glad you brought that up because right now, if you look at the number of women that see a gynecologist after the age of 50, it is in the single digits. It's pretty much non-existent. But Dr. Stryker says women should continue to see their gynecologist. A woman benefits from having an annual gynecologic exam from someone who has expertise in these issues and particularly in the long-term issues of menopause. Keep in mind that the majority of women will spend over one-third of their life post-menopause because we have a life expectancy well into the 80s. Which is why receiving continued care is critical for such things as bone health. We know that osteoporosis numbers are very high in this country. And then when we look at vulvar and vaginal health, 
vulvar discomfort, recurrent urinary tract infections, urinary urgency. These are all consequences of menopause, and these are all things that are easily solvable, and yet women continue to suffer. Dr. Stryker says there's a sentiment that there's a lack of menopause research. It's not true. There's a lot of research. Although she does admit... There are a number of areas that we have a lot to learn. We need a lot more research about cognitive function. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but there is also a lot of ongoing research. For women listening who have not yet entered into menopause... This is the time to educate yourself. No one is having that discussion when it comes to menopause. So the onus is on women to educate themselves before they start to go through menopause. For women listening, experiencing menopause... Don't tough it out. If anyone tells you, dress in layers and do yoga, that is not helpful at all. And this idea of, well, it's going to get better if I just wait it out. No, it's not. So there's plenty of help out there. And for us men... It is critically important that men understand what the women are going through. Not only so that they can be supportive but also so that they don't, quite frankly, take it personally. It's the new new. There's so much more you can learn from Dr. Stryker on her website. My website is drstryker.com, S-T-R-E-I-C-H-E-R.com, and on there links to my Inside Information books. And then I also have my podcast called Dr. Stryker's Inside Information, Menopause, Midlife, and More. And it really is a source of scientific-based information. We'll be sure to post links on our CTSI website, along with the podcast of this show. Next, we discover how menopause not only affects women physiologically, but can potentially impact a woman's mental health as well. For this, we spoke with Dr. Nancy Avis, Professor, Department of Social Sciences and Health Policy, Public Health Sciences, at Wake Forest University School of Medicine. Dr. Avis is a pioneer in menopause research, including her role as part of our nation's most comprehensive study of the physical, biological, psychological, and social changes of women's health during middle years. Dr. Avis has been actively involved with this study, known as the SWAN study, since its very beginning. And she tells us that SWAN is an acronym for Study of Women's Health Across the Nation. And it was begun in 1994. SWAN was designed really to be a multi-racial ethnic study of women before they entered menopause so they could be followed throughout the transition. In launching the SWAN study, we recruited 3,300 women from seven sites around the country. It was a large group of white women, black women, Hispanic, Chinese, and Japanese women. So we have five racial ethnic groups that we've been following since 1994. SWAN started out focusing on the menopause transition, including when the menopause occurs, how old looking at hormones, looking at symptoms, psychosocial issues, bone, lifestyle, CBD risk factors, so very complete profile of what happened. Initially funded as a five-year study, SWAN's overarching goal was to look at the impact of the menopause transition on short-term health outcomes and to try to separate out 
what is due to menopause and what's aging, because so many of these things occur at the same time. As it continues getting funded and women in the study continue to be followed, SWAN has expanded into looking at, as women age, what are some of the effects. So initially it focused totally on menopause, but still we look at what is the impact of the menopause transition on these longer-term outcomes, because we probably have more detail about the menopause transition than any study in the world. Now, it's important to point out... SWAN is an observational study. We have not conducted any interventions, any clinical trials, so we don't try to change anything. But what SWAN does is provide important longitudinal data for researchers. They now can go out and intervene to change people's behavior or to decrease symptoms. So other researchers will use SWAN data to develop interventions, and it provides more insight. It's very hard for anyone to actually duplicate what SWAN is doing because we've been doing this for so long. As far as her personal involvement with the SWAN study... I've been with SWAN since the very beginning, and my focus has been on several key areas, particularly the psychosocial, the mental health, quality of life, symptoms, and I've worked on age of menopause, primarily from a psychosocial epidemiological perspective. Which is important, because no conversation is complete without addressing both the physical and mental health aspects of menopause. But knowing how impactful menopause can be on a woman's mental health... That's a really, really hard question to answer, partly because there's so many things that impact that. Ranging from the biological impacts... There's certainly the physiologic, biological changes, the hormonal changes of menopause. ...to sociological impacts. There's also the whole cultural, society impact of menopause. It has a negative connotation. So because of that, women often feel the psychological impact of, oh, now I'm menopausal and now I'm getting old. And also what's going on in a woman's life. I mean, it's a stressful time and just a lot happening. Making it necessary to separate out root causes of the mental health impacts of menopause. What is actually due to menopause and what's due to other things is a challenge. We do try to do that in SWAN. We try to separate some of that out to the best we can, but it's hard. Regardless of the root cause, there can be mental health issues related to menopause. Although perhaps not to the extent, in certain ways, as you might think. Take depression, for instance. When we look at depression, we see slight increase in the prevalence of depressive symptoms. Depressive symptoms are different from clinical depression. Depressive symptoms mean, you know, you're feeling blue. Clinical depression is warranting intervention more. But we see an increase in depressive symptoms during the perimenopause, but it's a slight increase. And, interestingly, looking at stress in relation to that increase... We actually see that stress in general accounts more for that increase in depression than menopause per se. What causes the stress? We can't say exactly, but women who report their feeling under stress, that seems to be related more to depressive symptoms. And that's across the board, whether it's menopause or at any time in women's life. What about mood swings brought on by the hormonal changes of menopause? Women will report mood swings. They may have mood swings at other times, but when they're going through menopause, you have this event in your life that you can 
attribute to your mood swings. That doesn't necessarily mean it is because of menopause, but because you're going through menopause, you have some hormonal fluctuations, and there are hormonal reasons to go through mood swings. But again, Dr. Avis points out... Symptoms don't occur in isolation. So you have the hormonal fluctuations, you have hot flashes, you have night sweats. It's hard to separate out if you're having mood swings it's because you're not sleeping well and you're feeling tired and so that stresses you out. Speaking of sleep and the impact it can have on mental health during menopause. Sleep is getting a lot more intention about the importance of sleep. There are a lot of aspects of sleep getting to sleep, staying asleep, more awakenings during the night. We do see more of during the perimenopause. Then there's a sense of confusion, often described as brain fog for some women during menopause. The relationship between menopause and cognition is a huge area of investigation. We do find some change in cognitive functioning. How much of that is due to lack of sleep? How much is due to other symptoms? Again, it's hard to determine. You know, there's some evidence that estrogen is related to some cognitive functioning, but what is the relationship is yet to be determined. While depressive symptoms, stress, sleep, or cognitive issues can impact women during menopause, whether individually or combined, Dr. Avis reminds us... All of these things don't happen to all women. And the important message is, it's a huge variability among women. So some women don't have depressive symptoms, they don't have mood swings, they don't have sleep problems, but some women do. So it's not abnormal to have these, but don't assume, oh, I'm going through menopause, I'm going to have all these symptoms. For women who do experience them, the severity of mental health challenges during menopause varies as well. For some women, they can be very severe. I would say it's a small percentage, and some women will experience clinical depression. We generally find in terms of depression that women who have had episodes prior to menopause are at greater risk. There's a theory that women who have increased depression due to hormonal fluctuations may be more at risk during menopause. How can the mental health aspects associated with menopause be treated? If a woman is concerned, she should talk to her health care provider and be screened. Is she clinically depressed or just feeling a little blue? Then, depending on a consultation with an expert... For someone who's having severe clinical depression, there are medications, there are antidepressants, psychotherapy, there's other treatments for clinical depression. For someone not at that degree, but feeling depressive symptoms, there are things like exercise, a healthy diet, stress reduction techniques. All of those things can help with depressive symptoms. Can hormone therapy help with the mental health aspects of menopause? Therapy may help with hot flashes and night sweats, less so with depression. It wouldn't necessarily be prescribed if she's clinically depressed. In addition to any physiological factors, can external factors potentially affect mental health during menopause as well? Well, there's certainly the societal and cultural factors. In a society that highly values youth and doesn't value aging as much, that has an impact psychologically on menopause on women because it's a sign of aging. Some women will say, oh, you know, I'm done with periods. Thank goodness, I'm glad that's over with. But for other women, it's a marker. I'm going through menopause and I'm no longer youthful. So society has an impact. If you want to learn about the SWAN study or mental health during menopause, 
Are there recommended resources? The very best place is the SWAN website, swanstudy.org. And there's a lot of information there. Also go to menopause.org, as well as the National Institute on Aging website. And she adds, It is really important for people to go to trusted sources. There's a lot out there that is questionable in terms of what may help you get through menopause. So I would just urge listeners to be cautious. Dr. Avis says she cannot emphasize enough that every woman's menopause experience is different. There's just so much variability among women. Your friend, your mother, your sister, what their experience is like is not necessarily what you will experience. So women need to enter it not necessarily with the expectation that they're going to have all these symptoms. The symptoms are real. They should not be discounted, but you don't know what it's going to be like until you go through it. And even then... One of the interesting things that we have found as women get older, even though the physical health may start to decline, mental health increases. So women will do well after menopause. We'll end on that high note for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. As always, thanks to each of our guests for appearing on today's show. Dr. Lauren Stryker and Dr. Nancy Avis. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show. And I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows on demand, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.